Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Nugabauer, coming to you live to air on this overcast, cool March 3rd, 2020. It's the Tuesday after the first Sunday of Lent, if you're counting. No, I haven't, I've decided not to do a, uh, a Lent series this year, but I'll still uh, record as things come up and see where things go. I am joined now, back, finally. He decided to get off his perch and join the podcast, R2-D2. How are you doing, buddy? Well, I, I'll try and make things better for you there, bud. And, of course, a swig of water. Trying to exaggerate the sound of that water bottle. It's kind of kind of heavy pink water bottle thing. Uh, and, yeah, I'm doing something a little different today. I uh, decided a while back not to continue with the 10-minute the block of news reaction that would come out uh, that I, I used to start the podcast usually decided to uh, let that be and not try to pad my uh, pad my numbers pad my minutes with that and just go into the topic as is there's lots of great news podcasts out there for Star Wars news and fandom news uh, I definitely recommend you check those out I'd be all game for joining in on one of those I have thoughts on those things but it's also good to have a clear focus for what this show is going to be and the spiritual, theological, philosophical, storytelling type of commentary that I, I like to bring. Again, I, I have thoughts on latest news, but generally don't go into that. Now, this past week or the last week or so, it doesn't even count as an exception, I think, uh, to this rule, the announcement of Project Luminous, uh, the High Republic. I guess we got to stop calling it Project Luminous. That's going to be a hard habit to break. I'll just put it that way. The High Republic was announced. I'm going to go into my thoughts and my hopes and hopefully some responsible speculation about what that might entail. Uh, it was announced at an event at Disney, I believe, sometime last week. It wasn't live streamed, which was disappointing, but uh, there was some, some good tweeting about it going on. I was actually able to follow just on my phone on my mobile device, following Twitter. And then, of course, they released a, uh, a trailer video type thing. And the comparisons have been made to Shadows of the Empire that came out in the mid-90s and being an interconnected story that uh, was, did have the effort of a film and the marketing of a film. And so... Uh, Definitely looking forward to that. I mean, one of the things as fans we've been clamoring for is interconnection. It's greater interconnection. And, again, thoughts on news and films. Uh, Rise of Skywalker, it, it did connect to the films in its own way. But you could have read, I, I posted my review of Resistance Reborn. You didn't even have to read that book to... Uh, uh, appreciate Rise of Skywalker. In fact, reading that book might have detracted from Rise of Skywalker in some ways. Um, but that's not going to be the case with High Republic. There's going to be uh, books and comics starting out phase one. 
going to be, let's see if I got this right in my head, can be the, start off with Charles Sewell's adult novel, Light of the Jedi, uh, then with uh, uh, Claudia Gray's young adult novel, I forget what that's going to be called, some of the, Into the Shadow, so there's Light of the Jedi and the Shadow of Darkness playing off each other. Uh, Kevin Scott, who is going to be writing uh, the Marvel comic, so Kevin Scott, who wrote some of the IDW Star Wars Adventures comics, and of course, Dooku Jedi Lost, the radio play, uh, and then, so he, he's going to be writing the Marvel adult comic, or general run comic, and then Daniel Jose Older, who wrote Last Shot, uh, not too sure what else he's written. Well, he wrote, they, they've all had stories in from a certain point of view. And of course, they all write other things outside of Star Wars. Uh, he, Daniel Jose Older, he's writing the IDW Star Wars Adventures comic. Oh, yes. And then, of course, Justina Ireland is writing, um, I, I think it's a middle grade novel, but that's going to skew young adult too. So the the whole point is there's this one comprehensive story that they're all going to tell. I don't think it's that, here's a pun, get ready for a pun, novel that Charles Sewell is writing a novel <laughs> as opposed to a comic book. He's one of my favorite comic book writers out there right now. He's currently writing the the Star Wars run, the ongoing run, and his, his Darth Vader run is my favorite comic book ever. Uh, it, of course, it surpassed Kieran Gillen's Darth Vader comic book run. So he's the right person for that, and he just released, he has written two prose fiction novels. He has a story from a certain point of view. He he can handle storytelling fine. And another thing I love is the collaboration between them all and, and the whole group. To write a coherent story, to gain all the strengths of the different storytelling, they all have different strengths, they all come from different backgrounds, uh, Kevin Scott, especially, for example, has a theological background. So that's in there. And, of course, Claudia Gray and Charles Sewell, uh, they have spiritual, dare I say, theological themes in their novels. Claudia Gray, of course, wrote what it, wrote uh, uh, Master and Apprentice. So it's interesting. You have both, you have both Claudia Gray and Kevin Scott who have written the canon material that is closest to this time. I think that was kind of on purpose. Um, yeah, both uh, Master and Apprentice and Dooku Jedi Lost are set. Some, you know, Jedi Lost has got to be set, I think, around 50-ish years leading up to The Phantom Menace. Um, Dooku's a kid <laughs> and a young adult or, or a teenager at that time tracks his story Jedi Dooku, the Master Dooku, and Count Dooku. Uh, and of course, Master and Apprentice is set shortly before The Phantom Menace. And so, these are people who, who get what the Jedi are about, what the Force is about. People who get George Lucas's vision originally. Now, the reason I really want to get into this is uh, because it really brings up what I hope for and what I hope to see and... Again, there's concern, don't want to put too much on it and get too disappointed. But in sum, what I want to see is a Jedi Christendom. And, you know, I want to see the Galactic Society and the Republic being so thoroughly 
saturated with not just the life of the order and the institution, but with belief in the force itself. Right. That, and, and I don't, don't want to start backwards here because why do I want this? Where do I see this? Well, one of the goals of the Empire and goals of Darth Sidious was basically to say, I want the only to be the only one who has mastery over the Force. I want the only one to be the only one to have this kind of power. And so what I'm going to do is to create an Empire that replaces the power of the Force with the power of the Empire. Right. It's a very cold, dehumanizing institution that even in the design of the very the metal and the military order and discipline. Um, and then, of course, part of the strategy is to blaming the Jedi for uh, uh, for every all the instability in the galaxy after the Clone Wars and. Uh, you know, the, we, you think of the the scene in *Revenge of the Sith* where, you know, the the attack on my life has been foiled. All the remaining Jedi will be hunted down and defeated, and everybody cheers. Right? That's where we've gotten to. That's where we're going to see at the end of the Clone Wars season seven. That's what we see in *Revenge of the Sith*: is that people are so thoroughly disgusted with with the Jedi, and I think with their belief in the force, frankly, to the point where you jump ahead uh, 30, 50 years later and whatnot, you have people like Ray and Finn and uh, to a lesser extent Poe um, saying the force. I thought that was a myth. You know, the Jedi, I thought they were a myth. That the Empire had done, had done such a great job of wiping them out that uh, you know, people just didn't even believe these things were possible. And then, of course, you have Luke who takes that as well in his own way and says, oh, the Jedi are this evil, corrupt institution that uh, can't control the Force, and i got to cut myself off from the Force in order to not abuse Jedi power. And, and that's a whole interesting thing to go into that does get picked up in the rise of skywalker i will i will say that um and i, I do go into that in my my prequels review of rise of skywalker the ability to appreciate that film for what it's saying in light of jedi power jedi belief in the force but there's an interesting point there of um you know who does maintain belief in the force it's a rebellion in a lot of ways. I mean, why would you have kind of lay rebels saying, may the force be with you? <laughs> Even Jyn Erso, uh, you know, the person who's so used to keeping her head down and not getting all mixed up in, in the things that she thinks are too big for her, but things that will give her hope. It's interesting in the trailer to Rogue One, when she says, may the force be with us, it sounds kind of cheeky. The delivery, kind of cheeky, almost. Not so much, I don't know who she's trying to mock there. It's out of context because it's a trailer. But in the film itself, it's taken more earnestly. And they, they redo that line. And 
which is earnestly made the force be with us and rebellions are built on hope um it's like hera who sees canaan not just sees canaan but remembers stories of her father working with the jedi uh people like um oh who's the i can't believe you know the 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 bounty hunter another bounty hunter why am i blanking on his name he's such a great guy oh shoot uh, i'll i'll find that out in a second the guy who's also in galaxy's edge comes up in rebels a hondo Onaka. how could i forget you hondo he even has this almost conversion back to even him with the the his often self-interested ideas but in the face of the empire he he very much he, even he is able to say connect with the stories of the jedi and their integrity which gets me to an interesting thing i want to say and i want to see is a lot of the reaction to both rise of skywalker and high republic has been a lot of the negative reaction i should say has been to see the jedi in the prequel trilogy almost as antagonists almost as evil and corrupt people who they're why anakin fell to the dark side and uh, they're the sole reason, really, and <laughs> they're why uh, you know their their stern celibate requirements are are what cause Anakin to follow the dark side. And um, I've I've talked on this before, and, and you know I'll, I'll I'll grant that was definitely part of it. Uh, you know, that's definitely there, um, but that's such a the reality in George's own vision was far more nuanced than that, right? With, you know, you look at, you know, Mace Windu is maybe the caricature example here of them being the stern militant. Uh, you know, he's fallen to the dark side in a lot of ways. But Yoda and Obi-Wan, it's not that they've fallen to the dark side. It's just that they're just trapped by the dark side. They're in a system that has been accruing over and over for, for generations, possibly for 200 years, especially ramping up for 200 years as part of the Darth Bane plan that Darth Sidious is bringing to fruition. Part of a system where, uh, I forget where I saw this, was either Star Wars Explained or... Um, Star Wars Underworld, or it might have been, no, it was probably uh, Force Center with Kinapsok and Joseph Frumshaw. They were in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation where either they, they uh, join, you know, they take charge of, of this Jedi, or take charge of the Grand Army of the Republic in the Clone Wars, and are, are take their, their role as patriotic and the defenders of peace and justice in the galaxy against this looming separatist threat, or uh, or that they sit idly by and could be accused of sitting idly by while the separatists run amok, right? Either way, Sidious wins, right? That's, that's kind of what I'm getting at there. So they're caught in a system where they really have to take the lead in this war. 
and and the whole capitulation of their ideals this is just the end point so that's complicated right that that's not just being straight up protagonist antagonist that's you know, i really see obi-wan especially someone trying to and yoda and others trying to do their best in an impossible situation what i want to see <laughs> with project luminous or, or high republic rather is actually uh when the situation isn't so impossible yes there's going to be one story about adventures on the margins on the borderlands and there is going to be the Nihil. and i'll get to them in a minute but what i really want to see is the jedi at their height see a vision of the jedi as uh, protagonists right more clearly to see the force as people who see the force as a source of strength and submitting to the force as a source of strength that's the first thing i want to see you know yeah. so the biggest thing i want to see and i mentioned this at the top and i don't really expect i will but um i mentioned jedi christendom and i'm and i want to see a far more complicated or far more realistic depiction of that because nowadays in our secular society we actually have a do want to say complicated a very unclear relationship with the past in western europe right we think that there's religion and then there's society and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm making physical blocks. So religion on the one hand and is one sphere and then society is this other sphere and that Christendom is when they bounced against each other and popped against each other and you have church and you have state and the separation of church and state as these discrete entities. And I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing. Right? Institutionally, uh, pluralism, <laughs> flourishing of diverse identities and faiths you know there that is commendable for our age the thing is that's not to to look back at western europe through that lens it's it's uh anachronistic and so to even see for example with the jedi as uh, the categories of religious oligarchy or, um, you know, you have the Jedi over here and <laughs> the the Republic and the Senate over here, over somewhere else, but they have power over each other in this gamesmanship. That's not really even the full picture of what Western Europe was about. See, Western Europe, and, and, and so I've been reading uh, Jared McCulloch's History of Christianity and that goes really from 3,000 years, so ancient Greece and, and ancient Israel, but especially spends lots of time looking at Christian empires and the political movements and were, the, were their motivations confessional and faith reasons, were they economic and resource reasons, were they whatever power, just prestige of a king or a monarch, 
or an emperor or a pope. Whatever these motivations are, the fact is we can't easily so easily separate them out. Right? That we can't separate church and state out so easily because what we're talking about is a worldview. And I mentioned this on, on the Beltley Banthas episode I was on. A worldview in which you know the will of God governed all things. And yes, that could be taken in a problematic way because there were hierarchies and ethnic identities and things like that. But the reality is it, it was actually very nuanced. And, and I don't, and here, here's my, my view of history is I don't believe in a such thing as a golden age. I don't believe there was a golden age then. And I don't believe we're in a golden age now. We're going to look back and say, oh my word, we let this happen. We let this president get elected. We let this war start, right? We're going to look back on our age now and say, how do we let those things happen? Um, you know, we, we stripped Christian faith of the power to resist tyrannies like that. How did that happen, right? Um, just in the same way that, again, going back to the Clone Wars, the Jedi have been stripped of their ability to resist Darth Sidious tyranny until they were able to do it underground and, and start a, a rebellion and an alliance to restore the Republic. I'm going to continue on this little tangent a little bit. Alliance to restore the Republic and the New Republic was a secular society. It was very weird and very different than the Galactic Republic of before because the Galactic Republic was not a secular society. And again, for good and for ill, for nuance, for just the way people live, I want to see a complete integration of Jedi influence and Jedi presence and faith in the Force. Because with Western Europe and what's clear going back to McCulloch Christianity, uh, it's, a, it's a honking thousand-page book, <laughs> but it's, it's a very good read. What's clear is this whole thing of separation of church and state was actually inconceivable. The church was the state and the state was the church because the people were the people. And yes, there were clergy and then there were monarch and there were monarchy and parliaments, but you had lay people going to mass every day. You had lay people, especially after the reformation, which intensified this, right? Um, people reading their Bible you know, in, in Reformed and Protestant countries. Um, homes, children being raised up to know what the Christian faith was, men and women, boys and girls. Yes, again, it's, it's complex and nuanced because uh, it could be used to put women and girls in their place, quote-unquote. But what's also true is that it gave people a really strong sense of hope and meaning that through all the suffering and struggles of life, plague and violence and war, God would still sustain them and give them meaning in eternal life, both now and in the age to come. They would be able to experience that with their close contact with the life of the church, with the life of clergy and going to mass and uh, 
and, and, and the Reformation intensified that because it made a much stronger sense of state churches, right? The Church of England, Church of Sweden, Church of Scotland, etc. They really made a push to connect the people with the church, such that uh, in what reform countries, especially Cranmer in England, his goal was to see society as a as a lay monastery. Now we're not going to see that with the Jedi because that is still closer to the medieval Catholic idea that there was the enclosed monastery and then the world outside. But that boundary between enclosed monastery and world outside is more porous in the medieval medieval world than we think it is because the whole world is still God's theater to act and move. And people had a sense of that. Water. Thanks for agreeing with me, Artie. <laughs> I don't know if you agreed with me there, but... Um, get back to my thought here. What's interesting is we're going to see Jedi cooperating with lay people, if I can use that term, right? We're going to see Jedi on missions... Uh, working with experts in, in where they're at and in the, the places where they're from in different fields and different things they're capable of doing, which I do find it funny in the Clone Wars, Jedi are considered experts in everything. They're the best pilots and the best mechanics and, and all that. There's something about the Force there, you know, who knows. But maybe that's part of, actually, frankly, I don't know, just spitballing here, maybe that's part of what ends up happening is uh, Jedi end up closing in and making <laughs> that monastic enclosure a more a harder wall. Right? That we can't trust the people out there. They're going to turn on us because there's already these mounting tensions and distrust between the Jedi and the rest of society. Uh, I don't think it was... It's as pronounced as Darth Sidious makes it out to be. Um, we don't know how the rest of galactic society actually viewed the dissolution of the Jedi Order. Uh, we know the the plump core senators cheered it on because it means more power for them, right? Um, but maybe... You know, but at this time, what I want to see is, again, a Jedi Republic. And, again, want to see that's actually a nuanced thing. It isn't purely this corrupt institution and thing that's pressing people down like the Empire. It's uh, actually giving people hope and meaning while also having the seeds for its own demise. Right. One last swig of water. That's a good segue here too, because what I do want to talk about lastly is the, uh, the Nile and what I think is we are going to see, and we a lot of people have speculated this too, is it's a really fascinating question, and here is the Lent, Lenten thing coming up. But Kevin Scott, who knows what Lent is, <laughs> although this was two years ago, but it's good timing anyway. Uh, He's the one who posed this this 
spark of a question. What do the Jedi fear the most? What do the Jedi fear the most? And that's a really fascinating question because the answer can't simply be losing power. It can't simply be the Nile themselves. Um, again, it, they're not mustache twirling villains here. They're trying to actually uh, preserve peace and justice and order in the galaxy in their own mixed way, right? They think, okay, according to the way they see the universe and the galaxy, but also, you know, okay, what if it is for the flourishing of every creature, right? The way we see Qui-Gon treating... Uh, Treating Jar Jar. <laughs> what if that comes from this long tradition of respect and mutual care? Um, so it can't simply be what Darth Sidious says, and the Jedi don't, right? Why are we so trusting of, of Darth Sidious and his view of the Jedi? That that I it's the thing I don't understand, right? He's the one who talks about them being narrow and dogmatic. When, if anything, it's the Sith who are, by definition, narrow and dogmatic by dealing in absolutes. Anyway, uh, nuance, what do the Jedi fear? So we know the Nihil, the Nihil, I'm going to use the, the Latin pronunciation, the Nihil, um, they have some power over hyperspace. And there's this great disaster, again, another 9-11 trope, which, okay, we're... Responding to our response to 9-11. Fine. Uh, probably something about pulling ships out of hyperspace and, and whatnot. Now, that could be a technological thing. But there's something there was something seeded in Rebels with the Lothwolves being able to walk through the planet as if walking through hyperspace. And I wonder if they're really going to explore something about uh, the connection between hyperspace as or explore hyperspace as something to do with the force with the unifying force and the the world between worlds and uh, the energy field that binds the galaxy together that the Jedi devote their lives to connecting with devote themselves and like I said what I want to see is they're all about everybody connecting with the force right just like how Kanan was, is is about helping Sabine connect with the Force, even if she doesn't necessarily have the midi-chlorine count or whatever. The nihil, so nihil in Latin means nothing. Right? Nothingness. Empty. What I'm wondering is if the thing the Jedi fear the most is losing their connection to the Force. Right? It's, you know, the thing Christians fear the most isn't necessarily, uh, are we going to lose our status in society? We already have, right? Christians fear the most are, you know, are our churches going to close down and shut her down? Uh, they are, <laughs> right? I mean, we're, we're working on how to shore up and, and focus our creative energy on growth and on healing and on providing meaning 
two people in society. But, you know, I, I don't know if that's the main change. Right? We're human beings. The thing we fear as human beings the most is what if the thing that we've relied on to provide us meaning falters and can't sustain us, right? First Corinthians 15, if Christ has not risen from the dead, we are the biggest fools ever. Why would we, why would we get, uh, willingly suffer and die for a faith that is false? Right? What I'm wondering is, do the Nihil have the ability to weaken the Jedi connection to the Force? They have the ability to affect the Force in some way. Now, I'm looking straight up at my Black Series Thrawn uh, figure, and Salamiri, for example, have been discounted as being possible in, in the sense of the what the, the legends of Salamiri did was they were able to dampen the Force. And they can't because they're living beings and all life connects to it. We don't know what the Nile are able to do. Maybe it is a technological thing. Maybe they're, it's a smaller galaxy back then, smaller known galaxy. Maybe they're able to go to the wellspring of life and uh, close things off, right? If we can see Luke close himself off, if we, if we can see Darth Sidious use the Empire to close people off from the Force, what if this is this first initial shock? of that somehow there's a nothingness where they expected something a dark night of the soul maybe but one that instead of say saint john of the cross is saying uses us to increase our dependency on god and on the force which there's a good parallels with obi-wan in in that trust in the force lean on lean on it to continue to provide meaning for you what if with the High Republic, though, in that era, they had gotten so used to everybody having this sense of it, everybody having this connection to it, that this ability of the Nihil to separate people from the Force and to weaken and dampen it, maybe through technology, we don't know, uh, but that's such a shock to the system, right? What if that's such a thing that they couldn't comprehend that the this uh, distrust between the people, the rest of the galaxy, and the Jedi, between you know the monastic enclosure within and out? What if that we see the start of that? hardening that of course ultimately leads to the its imprisonment and iron bars imposed uh, uh, the iron bars of an imperial prison you know of uh the inquisitors and the inquisitorious base right um, because it's the unknown i mean as human beings as creatures as people yeah, we're most afraid of being disoriented and ungrounded. Right?
That's what I'm wondering, and that's what I'm frankly hoping to see, because I think that's far more compelling. It's far more nuanced, again, than simply the Jedi being afraid of losing power and sway over people. The ability to have their way and influence. There is part of that. That's the thing. There is some of that in there. Right? It's not this all or nothing. But um, it would be really profound and it would profoundly speak to where we are in our situation as Christians in the world today. Um, you know, would help us look back at 400, 500 years of history and see where was the beginning of the end for us. And... <laughs> Um, yeah, and, the, and I, I use that phrase beginning of the end. I still don't think there's such thing as a golden age. I don't think there's such thing as a golden age now. Christendom, it was and is no longer. There are things to uh, things to lament about it, and things to say. Well, maybe there's things we can recover that sense of community, that sense of faith talking about scripture and theology in public uh, in public fora. Just last night I was at a lecture um, put on by the Tafel Music Baroque Orchestra about they're doing St. John's Passion, uh, Bach's St. John Passion, the end of the month. And there were four Toronto School of Theology profs, one of which had taught a class I was in. <laughs> in this, and in, this is in, in a Trinity St. Paul's United Church, but it's really also the Jean Lamont Center, an orchestra that is now, you know, music is now profoundly, a primarily secular enterprise. And yet, coming to say, okay, let's actually seriously ask the questions. What is the St. John Passion saying? What did Bach intend? Um, how can we interpret that today? That's just an example. I, I've gone on the other extreme in saying in the United States, in politics, I think we need to take a break from uh, having that kind of authority and say, um, you know, if Pete Buttigieg had been elected, that would be fine as an Episcopalian. Maybe he would have had a more profound ability to relate. I think he does have a more profound ability to relate his faith to his public life. Um, but <laughs> I, I, yeah, the, I, I've gone the other extreme and saying I think we need to take it easy on that. Again, the distrust is very strong and the distrust has been earned, <laughs> I should say. Um, what I am wondering is even in our consumption of Star Wars media, higher republic is this almost a way of starting to regain trust i wonder if storytelling in how many years uh, when we finally pick up ray's story again is she going to go back to the history of the high republic or earlier because her goal is to help regain trust and hope and faith in the galaxy um, we don't know. We're definitely going to leave Ray alone for the while. <laughs> um, 
and that that's why maybe but that's what's important i think we're actually this i wonder franklin this may be what i want to see the most is uh, star wars as post-secular storytelling not because i want to bash people over the head with it maybe purely i can just own it that's what connects with me you know and if it doesn't connect with you then okay there are other <laughs> other stories that are being told Stories not in the higher public, but what we do see are, are a growing number of people of people of faith, people of theological education, writing Star Star Wars and joining Star Wars. At the very least, if that's not what connects with you, uh, in the spirit of dialogue, be open to what it might be saying. Just as being a human, you know, what I might say in terms of being a, a good human being. You know, that's, I mean, that's what dialogue really is seeking, really is about. Um, and hopefully, as someone of faith, I can extend that the other direction as well. So that's what I want to see <laughs> in the high republic i don't know if i'm going to see we're going to see too much of this whole jedi christendom idea i doubt there's going to be a jedi chancellor all of that would be fun that would be very interesting um you know the the grand master is also the chancellor and that and that they'll wear white and a funny hat no i'm just kidding <laughs> space pope right i doubt we'll see that but i want to see a clear inspiration from the real history of medieval Europe and what people really believed and what people really cared about. So hopefully I see something there. I'm not going to be terribly disappointed if I don't, just because, again, we don't have a very good relationship. We in the West have a very facile surface level relationship with our past and again that's that's a result of the fall of christendom and the rise of the need for pluralism and diversity for diversity's sake for the sake of representation pointing out the things that we needed to lament about that history but hey if we do see it if we do see something you know, if I see something, I'm sure I'll have things to say. <laughs> that's what's all, another thing that's nice is this whole era that is going to tap into the types of things I care about and I'm interested in. So, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it, excited about it. Looking forward to, again, the common story threads, things that relate to each other. And yeah, we, the designs themselves are beautiful. I didn't even go into the designs and the whole thing about the vestments and the clothing. And the, there's the temple. I'll just tag this on at the end here. There's the temple garb and then there's the mission garb. And the temple garb looks a, lot, a heck of a lot like Eastern uh, Eucharistic garb. And this whole thing of why did they switch to just wearing the simple farmer clothes and that really does tie into 
the fancy vestments versus plain clothes and simpler vestments in church, which has been something we've been debating for at least 700 years as Christians, probably longer. Anyway, that's an example of something I wonder if they're going to explore there. Because that's, again, that's a change from what we see with the Jedi in the prequel era. Right? The most we see is them in uh, their Clone Wars armor. But then the normal simple farmer garb. What's that about? Oh, that's where I was getting with that is I I do want to see Phase 2. I would love to see an animated series or a live live action series or a film that is connected and tied in and bound to the story that has been set up before. That's the whole thing with canon is in kind of this mess disarray after Rise of Skywalker. Let's actually tighten that up. Again, thoughts about news. Anyways, I think that's all I have to say on that right now. This has been episode 55 of For Christ's Sake Anakin, talking about the High Republic. Uh, one last word from R2. Thanks for getting off your perch and joining me again, buddy. Uh, yeah, and if you like what you hear, if you don't like what you hear, either way, comment maybe give me a follow on twitter at nug485 and on instagram at mnug mneug 1138 i will have news of a website coming up soon for my writings Um, but until then see you next time thanks for listening may the force be with you always